Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. In season and out, right? Uh, I was just watching you. I know you noticed you dismissed the kids to go to their own program uh, at the end of the music service. I'm just glad it's not by height because that way I get to stay in here. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Julie asked me what the title of the sermon is. We're going to be in, 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 uh, in Jeremiah chapter 5, and this is the second message that God has directed him to give. And uh, of course, he was the weeping prophet, and he was also the complaining prophet a lot of times. <laughs> That's what lamentations means, is complaint and grievance, grievances, you know. Uh, but uh, the book of Jeremiah is the last of the writing prophets of, from Jerusalem. Now, of course, then Ezekiel and Daniel will pick up in the captivity. But he, he's like he's seeing the end of the movie, and he's predicting the end of the movie several decades before it happens. And he prophesied for a long time. And, uh, and, and, and people did not listen to him for a long time. And so I, I always look at this chapter, chapter 5, as it's a question and two partial answers and then the ultimate answer. And then I'm just going to read you those, and I'm going to come back and cover these things. In verse 19, the question is asked by the people, Wherefore doeth the Lord our God all these things unto us? And he gives a partial answer that says, uh, this is, well, <laughs> because you've forsaken me and served strange gods. Then they're crying and begging again. Then another partial answer comes in verse 25. Your iniquity has turned away all these things. Your sins have withholden the good things from you. But why? Have you ever had a kid that you give them an answer and then they go, Why? Daddy, I want to go to the show. Well, I'm sorry, you can't go tonight. Why? Well, because, you know, you got you to go to school tomorrow. You got to go to bed tonight. But why? But why? But why? I always used to thought that if I died before my maturity that I would die hearing why in, in my ear. Why? It's, it's the second most popular line of a kid besides are we there yet? Um <laughs> Then they, but they say, why a third time? Why, why, why? And he finally gives them the, the real answer. And it's an answer that they really can't stand to hear. It's an answer that we today cannot stand to hear. We don't want to hear this answer, but it is the truth. And the answer isn't found in verse 31, because my people love to have it. So you like it this way, and that's why things are the way it is, because... If you didn't like it this way, you'd do something about it. And so I just want to cover a couple of things about how, they, uh, how God is preaching to them through Jeremiah. And he, he tells Jeremiah, he, said, he says, run ye, in the verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem and seek and see now and know and seek in the broad places thereof. If ye can find a man, <laughs> any man, if there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. What does this remind you of? 
Abraham says, Lord, will you destroy the city if you find 50 righteous? God is telling Jeremiah to go look for one. Go see if you can find one, and I will pardon him. Just go find one. And though they say, the Lord liveth, surely they answer falsely. See, they always know the right things to say. They know where to say amen. They know where to say hallelujah. They know which song to stand up on. They know when to sing the doxology. I got to tell you, the first time I ever preached in a Methodist church, I was filling in for a guy that went hunting, and he was a fishing buddy of mine, and he said, I want you to come preach for me at the Methodist church over in Rogersville. So I showed up, and I'm sitting there, and and uh, they went through all the announcements and the songs. And finally, they sang, they, everybody stood up. Nobody told them to stand up, but everybody stood up at the same time. And they sung the doxology, you know, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And they got through with that, and they, sat, they went, amen. They got through with that, and they sat down. And then after a minute of silence, the Sunday school teacher, who, the one who had taught our class, adult Sunday school class, she turns around and she says, it's your turn now. <laughs> so <laughs> when they sit down, that's when the preacher was supposed to get up. Nobody, nobody clued me in on that one little thing. I was just sitting there waiting for the next thing to happen. Yeah, I hadn't heard the announcement for the softball game yet, so I didn't know what was going on. But that's the way it is with religion. People know when to stand up. They know the right thing to say. And they're saying, <laughs> you know, the Lord lives. Well, they don't believe it. They swear it, but they swear falsely. O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Are we stricken? I think we're stricken. We got drugs. We got booze. We got uh, every kind of sexual perversion imaginable. We've got, uh, <laughs> we've got an invasion of the country by foreigners. We got, uh, we got our cities are burning. And people uh, causing all kinds of mischief. Nobody's going to jail. I thought it was a big deal back, you know, 15 years ago when they had the big financial collapse in 2008. I, was, I kept running around going, how come nobody's in jail? Why doesn't anybody go to jail for this? Well, things are so much worse now than they were then. And nobody's asking, well, why isn't anybody in jail? Nobody's going to jail. Somebody needs to go to jail. Uh, you know, we're stricken, but we're not grieved as a people. Uh, we've been consumed. Thou hast consumed them, but they refuse to receive correction. You know, they get one lick and they say, thank you, sir. May I have another? It's not enough. Uh, if gas costs $2, we complained about that. Gas costs $3, we complained about that. Gas costs $4, we complained about that. But nothing gets done. Nothing, nothing happens. It's almost like, and when we don't do anything about it, it only gets worse. What happens when somebody takes advantage of you? If they borrowed 20 from you today, next week they'll need 40. And they still hadn't paid you back the 20. If you've ever had a teenager, you know that song. <laughs> I'll get you when I get paid. And it's amazing how somebody can work a job and never get paid, you know. 
<laughs> they refuse to receive the correction. You know, we understand these things are happening to us, but we don't know what to do. And as a country, we don't know what to do because we have refused to be corrected by the Lord our God. This people refuseth correction. We refuse to be corrected. It's like the people that uh, Jesus left. He, said, we, he tells a story about a, a ruler that went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom. And he left there his servants, and he gave them each uh, money. He gave this one a talent and that one two talents and, and so forth. And, uh, but there was a group of people that said, we will not have this man to reign over us. And that is the majority of this country, the overwhelming majority of this country. We will not have the Lord to rule over us. We refuse. We refuse to have him rule over us. And that's not just in the world. That's not just in Hollywood. That's not just in politics and the media. That's not just in the news. That's in churches. We refuse to have this man, the man Jesus, to rule over us. Because if we allowed him to, our lives would look different. We would live different from the world. We would be sanctified. We would be set apart. And you notice I keep seeing we. I don't say you. I say we. Because I'm the, as guilty or more guilty than anybody else. They've made their faces harder than a rock. They refuse to return. In other words, they refuse to return to come back to me to return to me, to come back to me. He talks earlier and more, two more times in this book about the backsliding of Israel. They, they keep going backward and they won't come back forward. They won't, they won't, not only have they gotten, they were bad to start with, but then they backed up. They won't even go back to where they were bad. They got to stay down here where they're awful. You know, they won't even come back to where they were before they started backsliding. Therefore, I said, surely... These are poor. They're foolish. They know not the way of the Lord. This is Jeremiah talking. He's trying to make sense of what God is telling him to preach to the people. They know not the way of the Lord nor the judgment of the Lord. And then Jeremiah's thinking in verse 5, says, I will get me unto the great men and will speak unto them, for they have known the way of the Lord and the judgment of God. But these have all together broken the yoke, and burst the bonds. I've known some great men in my time, and I mean men of substance and men of power. Uh, I never did know a billionaire. Well, I know one who might be a billionaire by now, but, uh, but, but, but these, these men are, you know, I'm thinking that, that these are great men. Surely they can do something. But then you, you get behind them and you campaign for them and you make phone calls. And then when they get in, they're just like the guy that was there before. It's like, uh, it's like that old rock and roll song, Meet the New Boss, Same as the Old Boss. Anybody who grew up in the 70s remember that song. Pleased to meet you. Hope you guessed my name. <laughs> of course, that is Satan the devil. We all know his name. We all know his name, and it's the devil's world. 
We go to, you, you look to the great men, you look to the sages, you look to the, to the educators, you look to the, uh, the academy, uh, you look to the military leaders, and everybody is sitting there like sucking their thumb like they don't know what to do next. You look at these hearings that they have every day. You put it on C-SPAN, and you can just watch them having these hearings. And it's like a dog and pony show. You know, these guys come up with a team of lawyers, and they sit there, and they answer this question and that question, and they talk for five or ten minutes, and I got no idea what they said. They never answer the question. You look at the news programs. The reporter asked them something. They never answer the question. They just talk until it's time to go to a commercial. That is what life in this country has become. We just talk until it's time to go to commercial. That's all there is to it. Nobody's serious about it. Jeremiah's looking for somebody serious. God sent him out and said, you find one righteous man. You find one person with judgment. I'll let him go. I'll set him free. You want to be set free? I want to be set free. I don't want to be counted among the foolish. He said, Wherefore, a lion out of the forest shall slay them, and a wolf of the evening shall spoil them. A leopard shall watch over their cities. Everyone that goeth out thence shall be torn in pieces, because their transgressions are many. Their backslidings are increased. He said they're going to fall every way imaginable. Uh, we all know somebody, or we have a relative. You know, uh, they went on a trip to Tulsa, and... Uh, you know, got run off the road and wound up in the ditch. Or they go on a trip to Oklahoma City and somebody robs them in the parking lot, takes their purse or takes their wallet. You know, they go off to Minneapolis on a trip to see family or something and they get carjacked. I mean, we hear about these things happening to people all the time. Just because they're not happening right here in Ozark doesn't mean they're not happening. It's going on all over the place. And what he's talking about here is that people are being destroyed by every way imaginable. You know, Jesus was in, I think one of you guys preached this recently. Uh, Jesus was in the temptation and said the wild beast came among him. Well, who do you think sent the wild beast uh, to be badgering him and to trying to tempt him into doing something supernatural that would, uh, that would blow what he was trying to do, that he was trying to suffer and be tempted as a man? You know, he wasn't going to shut the mouth of those wild beasts like God shut the mouth of the lions because that is an act of God. And Jesus, I thought about that. I think it was you the other night, James, Pastor James, preached that. Uh, but and, it, and Satan will use anything in this world, man or beast, uh, he will use anything in this world to try to tempt us that he can control and push on us and get us to backslide even more. Verse 7, how shall I pardon thee for this? God is saying, what do you expect me to do? Do you expect me to let you go and, uh, and uh, chastise everybody else? you expect me to let you off the hook when I've told you everything that you need to do and you won't do it? And he says, thy children have forsaken me. Now, I, you know, I have a, a checkered past, but my generation, kind of the Vietnam generation, we kind of dropped the ball in a way because in so, so many of our families, you know, what the war didn't get, you know, booze and drugs and all this the life and all this other stuff kind of ate a bunch of us up. And what I've started to notice is that grandparents are bringing their children to church because because we almost skipped a generation and have to start over in many churches. 
And, uh, and it says, they said, the children have forsaken me. And uh, I heard a, a statistic just the other day that if you don't lead a person to Christ before they're 18, you've got like, a, like only a, a 20 to 25% chance that they'll ever be led to Christ in their life because of the pressure of the world. Now, I don't know who took that survey. I don't know if it's true, but that's a very big number. Uh, to, to, so bring your kids to church. And it says that, uh, and it says that they, they have sworn by them that are no gods. We worship, we're pantheists now as a country. We worship everything. We worship fame. We worship fortune. We worship uh, movie stars, rock stars. Uh, I mean, you know, we nearly had like a civil war in the country because, you know, Taylor Swift's concert tickets got messed up a few months ago. And, uh, and it's just, uh, you know, I'm thinking... I'm thinking they're, they're having strikes and riots over Taylor Swift tickets. I feel like Rip Van Winkle. I went to sleep and woke up and didn't know where I was or what was going on. I don't understand it. Uh, and, and it said, I fed them to the full. I took care of them, my children. But they committed adultery and assembled themselves by troops in the harlot's houses. Every year, uh, uh, Pew or, or Gallup comes out with a survey, and they talk about how, how 85 or 90 percent of us are Christians and, and believe in God and believe the Bible and stuff like that. I know it's not true. If 90 percent of this country were Christians, there wouldn't be any drug trade. There wouldn't be any human trafficking. There wouldn't be any prostitution. Wouldn't be any gambling. Wouldn't there be any beer joints. Wouldn't be any dance halls. There wouldn't be none of that if, if we really were and we're not. And it says, They were as fed horses in the morning. Everyone neighed after his neighbor's wife. And, you know, it says that uh, their feet are swift to destruction. They... The fear of God is not before their eyes. Uh, we live in a country where people almost wake up in the morning and almost plan on how they can do worse that day than we did the day before. Because that's how sin is. You know, once you're partaking of sin, it's the biggest drug there is. I mean, it's a lot, lot worse than heroin or, or quitting smoking or anything else. It's worse than you can imagine. Sin is the, the worst thing in the world, the, the hole that it gets on you. It's addictive. Because see, if sin wasn't fun, nobody would do it. But it's just the pleasure of sin for a season, and the end thereof is the ways of death. It always ends bad. But the devil makes you think that it's good. It makes it look good to you. That's what he does. But, and it says that, that everybody was just doing everything they could. And then to, to sin and to keep sinning and to not stop. That's where we are in this country. Verse 9, shall I not visit for these things, God says, and, and shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? Well, Brother Harris, you're talking about ancient Judah. <laughs> are they any, you know, we're no better than they are. By my, I tell you what, by my calculations, we're worse 
than the nation of Judah was in Jeremiah's day. There are worse things going over from reading antiquities and, and, and reading histories. There is worse stuff going on in the country right now. And, uh, you know, in chapter, uh, uh, chapter 7, he is condemning the, the sacrifice of the children and passing your children to the fire to the god Molech and, and Baal worship and stuff like that. Jeremiah does that a couple of chapters later. <laughs> well, we've been sacrificing our children here for years and years and years. I don't know how many billions of babies have been slaughtered worldwide in the abortuaries. And we sacrifice our children to drugs. We sacrifice our children to crime. We sacrifice our children to culture. And that's why the parents are telling the kids what to do. And I, Isaiah said that this is the mark. This is, this is the mark of destruction. It said that, uh, it said that children are, are your oppressors and women rule over you. And not just women who are females, but men who act like women who are frail and not masculine and will not do what needs to be done. I mean, I got to tell you, I look at, and I've said this before, I may have said it here, but it's just something I think about all the time. I think about the, the commercials on TV, just on regular TV. You don't have to pay for it. It just comes in, you know, just regular television. And the commercials, and some of the things I see on there are so nasty that if it happened in my, my grandparents' day, they would have gone down to the TV station and burned it to the ground. And pull the, pull the antenna down with ropes and destroyed it. I said, we're not going to have that here. That's not going to pass here. But it's the same thing as the frog that's in the pot of boiling water. He doesn't know anything's going on until he's dead. That's what's happened to us. The, the fancy word for that is desensitized. We've been desensitized to it. It don't bother us anymore. Sin needs to bother us. It needs to break our heart. It needs to make us cry. It needs to bring us to our knees. And he says, go up, yet, go up on the walls and destroy, but make not a full end. Take away her battlements, for they are not the Lord's. Jeremiah is begging. Uh, God is telling Jeremiah to go up and preach that there's going to be a remnant, but I'm going to have to take most of you away which he, as he builds throughout this book, he elaborates on. So they have belied the Lord. They said, it is not he. Uh, they dealt treacherously with me. They said, he is not he, neither shall evil come upon us, neither shall we see sword or famine. Uh, all the bad stuff that's happening to us, they say, it's not because we've abandoned God. That's what all the smart people say on TV, the supposedly smart people that are sitting there in the suits, you know, the rich people and the famous people who control everything and have all the money and make all the decisions about what the rest of us poor people are supposed to do, you know. You see them on TV all the time, and they're sitting there, well, it really doesn't have anything to do with God. We, uh, you know, we, we suffered in this last quarter because of oil prices and because of inflation. No, it's the hand of God. They're saying that it's not God that is doing this to us. And God says plainly that I am doing it to you. I am judging you because you have rejected me and won't return. It is judgment. If he judged then, he'll judge now. I'm the Lord thy God. I change not. He's always the same. 
If he judged them, he'll judge us, and he is judging us right now, I believe. It says, they said, it is not he, neither shall evil come upon us, neither shall we see sword or famine, and the prophets shall become wind, and the word is not in them, and thus shall it be done unto them. I mean, I'm so tired of hearing preachers on television that are wearing a $1,000 suit and telling me that just live my best life right now and everything I need is inside me, that I've, I, I'm a God, I can be a God, I can make my own decisions, I can, uh, I can do whatever I want to do if I have enough positive thoughts or if I send in enough money. Beloved, i got to tell you, the clarion call of the gospel is repent. The, the call of the gospel is not send money. Now, we need money to do the work, but without repent, it's not from God. What was the message of the Old Testament prophets? Repent. What was the message of John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's the first thing that Jesus said when he came back to Galilee out of the wilderness? He said, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The cry is repent. What did the apostles say on the day of Pentecost? Repent ye and be baptized. Repent. But the prophets don't tell you to repent. Our modern prophets, they tell us how good things are going to be. I keep hearing about this great worldwide revival that's supposed to happen any day now. And I look around, and I got to tell you, I don't know where it's going to happen. I see pockets of revival. I see people in individual places and, 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 and parts of the country and, and different churches, different communities, families being revived, churches being revived, communities being revived. But unless, I, unless there's something in here that I haven't seen and haven't deciphered, it's, it's hard for me to imagine uh, there being <coughs> a great revival of God in Paris, France, or in, in, in Berlin, Germany, or in America. He says, what more could I do when he talked about the vineyard? What more could I do? I gave you everything you needed, and you act like this. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in thy mouth fire. So the people are going to be wood, and it shall devour them. You know, because the, the word of God is powerful and stronger than any two-edged sword. It's going to yeah. divide. It's going to cut. Yes. And uh, it is the only offensive weapon that we have. You know, you look at the sword, you look at the armor of God, everything in that armor is a defensive yeah. weapon except for the sword of the Spirit. Yeah. Uh, and it was the word that was going to hurt him. That's why they kept throwing Jeremiah in jail and down holes <laughs> and chasing him from pillar to post trying to kill him was because his words were hurting them. His words were burning them. When was the last time you burned somebody with your words? And not for a joke or not, for a, not for, to get, just, just uh, get one up on them, but because you were declaring the word of the Lord. When was the last time we did that? When was the last time you did that in your personal walk, in your daily life?
And he says, I'll bring a nation upon you from far, the house of Israel, saith the Lord, a mighty nation, an ancient nation, a nation whose language thou knowest not, neither understandest what they say, which I always find is really ironic because their father, Abraham, came from there. God called him out of Babylon. God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, or Ur, the city of the land of the Chaldeans. And the Chaldeans were the Babylonians. And so they're taking them right back captive to the place that God called Abraham out of. I don't want you there. I want you here in the promised land. But because they rejected God, now he's taking them back to where they started to their father's house that their father left. And Paul said, if he wanted to go back there, he could have gone back anytime he wanted to. He was rich enough. He could have done anything he wanted to do. But God told him, you get out of here. You take your house and go. I don't want you here. And then when he had to find a son for Isaac, he sent a servant. He said, I'm not going there. And he says, you don't take my boy there either. I don't want him there. I don't want him to be influenced by that place. You go and find a daughter for him and bring her back. And that's how Rebecca came. The, their quiver is an open sepulcher. They were all mighty men. That means all of their weapons work. They're, they're mighty. You know, whatever they shoot at, they hit. And God makes them do that. And they shall eat thine harvest and thy bread, which thy sons and daughters should eat. They shall eat up thy flocks and thine herds. Nevertheless, in those days, I will not make a full end to you. He has promised to preserve a remnant. There is a remnant today. There is a holy remnant. And I don't care what sign is on the church door, whether it's Pentecost or Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Catholic. There is a remnant. There is a handful of people in every church building that cry for their sin and for the sins of their families, for the sins of the nation. They yearn for Jesus to come back. They praise God every day. They love Jesus. And a lot of times the people in their church family think they're weirdos (laughs) because all they do is talk about Jesus. Uh, I thought that was what you were supposed to do at church was talk about Jesus. Now, here's where the question came in verse 19. Wherefore doeth the Lord our God all these things unto us? And thou shalt answer, God says to Jeremiah, Well, like as ye have forsaken me and served strange gods in your land, so shall you serve strangers in a land that is not yours. In other words, uh, since uh, you serve these strange gods, I'm going to let you go with where those gods originated. Where is the origin of all false religion in the world. Everything else is a copy of it, and that is Nimrod and Semiramis and the Tower of Babel, Babylon the Great, Mystery Babylon. Read about it in 17. It is this whole cult worship, and every every religion has a piece of it except for those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil is not very creative. All he can do is imitate. So what he does is he sets up false gods that pretend to be the real God. 
And he says, you're a foolish people. You have eyes you don't see. You have ears you don't hear. You know, I see them. I see people that'll, uh, you know, like, like this guy that, that kills his whole family. That guy in South Carolina or North Carolina, wherever it was, he was a lawyer and he killed his, killed his kid and killed his wife and, and tried to hide it all. And it was on TV every day for weeks. And I'm thinking, why didn't they just hang him? Uh, why did they spend all that money? It's because the fear of God is not in them. We will not do what God tells us to do. If man will shed man's blood, then by man must his blood be shed. That's in the Noahic covenant. God gave that covenant to Noah. As far as I know, he hasn't given any order since to the contrary. If y'all got a memo that I didn't get, forward it to me. And then he goes back and he says, God is actually a little amazed. Now, God is never surprised. And I'm sure he's doing this question for Jeremiah's benefit. And he says, fear ye not me? You know, he knows that they're not fearing him. There's no fear of God before their eyes, saith the Lord. So will you not tremble at my presence? Boy, I do. So I, I, I put the sea where it's supposed to be, and I put the sand where it can't go past it. And unless I say, it won't. I think about the rising of the seas and the things that are happening right now. If God didn't say it was time for that to happen, it ain't happening. He is in control. This is by him all things exist and by him all things consist. He not only made everything, he keeps everything going. And he makes it go the way he wants it to go. The only thing that God can't be is surprised. But he can do anything else. But he can't be surprised because he already knows everything. These people have a rebellious heart. And they won't say in their heart, now let us fear the Lord, our God, in verse 24. Because he'll give us the appointed weeks of our harvest then if we fear him. They won't do that. They won't return. You imagine what would happen in this country. I saw a little bit of it right after 9-11. The people, the churches just filled up, you know. You had to... Had, had 30 people in church. You probably had 100 the next week. Everybody went to church. Every, but it didn't last. They, they went for a week or two while they were scared. And then the president told everybody to go shopping and go to Disneyland and, and fly on vacation and so we could just pick up and go back to normal. If you ever read that book that the rabbi wrote, he talks about that, uh, the harbinger. And he says that they just uh, decided that they would just build back better than it was before. And they don't take the warning from God. They don't take the warning because of their rebellious heart. And then he says, again, the answer to this is that the iniquities, your iniquities have turned away these things. Your sins have withholden good things from you. Now, in the life of a Christian... If we're following Jesus, the main sin that I find myself having to worry about, of course, I'm an old man, and I'm not tempted like I was when I was young in a lot of areas. But the main sin that I have trouble with is disobedience. i got to keep myself in check. Am I obeying God? Am I doing what he told me to do? 
And I'm sure he told me that. And if I'm sure he told me that, then I need to be doing it. And in a mature Christian, that is usually our main area of falling, is that we're not in, we're not in, in, in what I would say perfect adherence or perfect obedience. We can't ever be perfect, but what I mean by that is that we are consciously trying to follow Christ, that we are, that we are trying to live in a state of discipleship, that we're trying to live in a state of obedience. Now, you know, <laughs> you can't open the brakes and you get mad and you yank it out of the wall and throw it across the room. You know, that's just a bad moment. <laughs> it, it happens to all of us, but, but we don't decide at that moment, okay, I'm going to quit obeying God and I'm going to be mean and nasty right now. Kawam! No, that's not how we do it. It just comes upon us because we are, as the Scripture says, we are but flesh. And God, in verse 29, he says, shall I not visit for all these things? And then this is where he gives the final answer. And I have to believe it's true. He says, a wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. And I've seen it. And all the years I've been aware of these verses, I kind of compare what I see to what the Lord says right here. He says in verse 31, the prophets prophesy falsely. I don't know how else to put it. We got, we've got big name preachers and with large ministries that are telling us that, that we need to do things differently than the way we've always done them. That we need to, uh, you know, we just need to concentrate on clothing the, the naked and, and, and helping the poor and feeding the hungry. And, and I'm for all those things in Matthew 25. I do all those things. So do you. Whenever the need arises, whenever we're aware of a need, we do the best we can to fill that need. But that is not our ministry. You see, they want us... The people who are trying to control us in government and propaganda and media, they want us to act a certain way. They want us to act like them. They want us to worship a God of their, in their image, a God created in their image. And that's not the God of the Bible. They want us to worship a Jesus like the one we see in these TV shows that's just kind of bopping around and, and looks kind of like the guy on a novel cover or something, you know paper bag uh, that's not the real Jesus not the, not the Jesus of the Bible they and it comes from both sides uh, from the left they want us to be like, like socialist and welcome everybody in of course the doors of the church are open to everybody but they want us to, to not call sin sin they want us to say that hey you know, it's okay it's, it's alright you know, it's like, uh, you know, drug addiction's not a sin. Uh, you got a you got a psychological problem, or you got a physical problem. They won't call it sin. It's sin. You know, I've said this before. I think I said it this morning because it's been on my mind. I had to quit going to AA. Now, if if you're going to AA, I'm not trying to discourage you, but I I quit going because I had to say I'm Jimmy and I'm an alcoholic, but it ain't true. 
I, I'm not an alcoholic. I used to be a drunk. I'm not a drunk anymore. Jesus took it away from me. I hadn't had a drunk in, you know, in 26 years, nearly 27. So I can't say that I'm an alcoholic because I don't even think about booze because Jesus delivered me from that condition. I didn't, I didn't have a disease. I had a sin. Jesus cured the sin. And he always will. But they want us to buy into this social gospel idea. And it was big in the 70s when I was young, you know, and people talked about it all the time, you know, like uh, raising up the poor and doing all this stuff, which are all good ideals. But there's no such thing as a social gospel. There's only a sinner gospel. Now, if you get enough people saved around where you live, your society, your part of society, your area of society will look a lot different. It'll look a lot better. But Jesus didn't come to the earth to get everybody to vote a certain way or to get everybody to have the same political philosophy, whether it's left or right. You know, from the way I talk, you know pretty much where my sympathies lie and the way I feel and everything. Uh, because I can't support, I can't support killing babies and I can't support sexual perversion. And I can't support any of these ungodly things that we're called on to support by society. You know, Adrian Rogers said that that if you if you if you get a guy to quit drinking, that if you don't give him Jesus, all he does is he goes to hell sober. You haven't achieved anything. All the social gospel does is attempt to make this world a better place to go to hell from. And that's all, that's all it is. The prophets prophesy falsely. And the priests bear rule by their means by the means of the prophets. Uh, I don't know how many churches I know of that I mean, preached to some of them and visited some of them. They're in existence because they got like one main guy and then they got a bunch of other churches and uh, they all watch the same guy on TV or something. There's a church in Branson where they watch a guy preach from all the way over in Hawaii. I was amazed when I saw that. I said, well, is that guy going to come preach your funeral? I said, what, what if you're in the hospital down at Mercy? Is he going to fly over here from Honolulu and come visit you on the third floor at Mercy Hospital in Springfield? I don't think so. It's kind of a perversion of the idea of a pastor. But they bear rule by those means because of the prophets who prophesy falsely. And then here's the answer that God gives. And my people love to have it so. What will you do in the end thereof? You know, how's this thing going to play out? My people love to have it so. That's why things are the way they are. It's because a guy like me, when I was strong and healthy, I didn't stand up often enough or forcefully enough and say, hey, we shouldn't do this, we shouldn't do that. There have been times when I've been in, in denomination meetings 
when I've just nodded my head because I just believed that these older, wiser men knew better than I did, and I didn't want to speak out when I knew something stunk because I said, well, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have all this exalted position and, and adoration of people if they weren't higher up than I am. So I, I, I always thought that I was missing something. I mean, Satan wants you to think that you need to get on board with the rest of the world because they're all paddling in one direction, and that's straight to hell. They're going down the river, going over the falls, but they're all going in the same direction. Just because somebody, a large group of people is going in, in the, the same direction doesn't mean it's the right direction. Don't discount what you know because what you know, you know from the Lord. You know from here. And if somebody tells you that, uh, hey, you shouldn't feel like that, well, then you should ask them and say, well, why shouldn't I feel like that? The Bible says right here that this is what you're supposed to do. And then if they say, oh, that old book, oh, that old fairy tale, well, then you know where they're coming from and you don't have to waste any more time on it. You see, we have one card that we can play, and then we're going to have a, we're going to have a time of invitation here. Uh, and we're going to uh, have some music, have a song, and the altar will be open. But uh, when you know what you know, the world will try to make you think that what you know isn't true. Uh, They'll want you to shut up. They'll want you to sit down. <clears throat> They'll want you to get out of the way. I, I, look at, I look at politics and I think, well, anytime they're trying to get rid of somebody, that must mean that, that, must mean that he's right because uh, if there wasn't so many people trying to get rid of him, then, uh, then, then, then uh, they wouldn't be trying so hard if they thought they could beat that person. And so... No matter how insecure we feel sometimes about what we know and the pressure we feel from society, we have to keep saying no. And like I said, we have one card that we can play that the world doesn't have. The lost person doesn't have this card to play, and we do. The saved person has this special whole card, and that's it. They can persecute you. They can make fun of you. Uh, they can take your job. Uh, they can take your property. They can put you in prison. They can torture you. They can kill you. And they've been killing us like sheep to the slaughter ever since the crucifixion. But the one thing that they can't do is they can't change your mind. They can't make you think the crazy things that they think. They can't make you live the ungodly way that they live. Because we have a Savior who delivered us from that. Praise God. Praise God. Jesus delivers from sin. For, for he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
And I think it's time that we started living like we are the righteousness of God. Beat up, bruised, flawed, bloodied, we are still the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. Can we have a song, please? I'm going to ask Brother James to come up. The altar's going to be open. We're going to sing and we're going to praise God. And if anybody has a need, I want you to come forward. If, if there's anybody here who isn't saved, you need to come forward and get saved tonight. If you just believe that Jesus suffered and died for your sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose the third day according to the Scriptures, he will save you. That's all you need to do. You have just have to repent of your sin and believe that, uh, that Jesus can you save you, and he will. He's never turned anybody down. But on the other hand, if you just want to pray, uh, uh, maybe, you know, maybe you're sick. Maybe you need to be healed. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you need to pray for a loved one. I don't know what the situation is, but whatever burden you have, if you leave here with it on your back, it's your own fault because Jesus says to cast all your burdens on me because he cares for you. The altar's open. Brother